Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in you we find love and peace and grace and mercy. We thank you that as Jesus sacrificed his blood on the cross, that we might be forgiven. There we met the perfect combination of justice and love, that your justice was being served in love. Our guilt was paid for, and if we turn to you in faith, we can know forgiveness forever. Lord, I pray that every person here has experienced that and is your child today. And if not, I pray that this is the day that we say yes to mercy and love. Lord, we thank you for the chance to gather together here. We pray for those who are suffering through the floods in the Midwest that we read about. We recognize that there are some brothers and sisters in Christ who can't meet in their church building today because it's underwater. We pray, Lord, that you would provide for them. We pray that they would be the agents of love and mercy in their communities. And we pray that you would be glorified in all of this. And right back here, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in us, that we would be the people we need to be, that we would make the changes that we need to make. Your word tells us about yourself and about ourselves and And you know us by name, you see us individually, you you understand what's next for us, so help us, Lord, be ready for what's next as we say yes to your word and to obedience. So teach us today, we pray. Guide us in your truth, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 12. That's our passage today, Romans chapter 12. Today we are bringing to a conclusion this very brief series where we've kind of dug into Romans 12, what I call Paul's masterpiece chapter in his masterpiece book, chapter 12 of the book of Romans. Here's the key concept for today, overcome evil with good. That's our task, overcome evil with good. Paul, at the end of the chapter of 12 of the book of Romans, is telling the church of Jesus Christ what we are to accomplish, and how we are to accomplish it being the people that we're meant to be. And what we are to accomplish is overcome the evil in the world by the good of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we need to be the people, the good people that God calls us to be the way that he defines good. Overcome evil with good. And so you see immediately there, as Paul gets to that phrase in verse 21 of chapter 12, that he's using the word good not in a vague sense. 
Not in a flippant sense. It's not some, like we sometimes say when we're leaving somebody, hey, be good. We don't know what we mean by that. We're not really asking them to be anything specific, you know. You know, be good. Cross at the light, you know. Kind of vague, kind of flippant. Paul senses that when God's good people are good the way God defines good, the evil in the world will be overcome. That we will have victory in what God has asked us to do and called us to do. And so the last portion of the chapter 12 of Romans is really all about how to be the people that God wants us to be in order to accomplish that. Now what impresses me about the entrance from, uh, into the section from verse 8 to verse 9 is this. When you remember last week, we ended up in the section ending in verse 8, noting that Paul was talking about the spiritual gifts and how each of us has a spiritual gift and we are called to serve the Lord using those spiritual gifts in the way that He has designed us to serve Him. And in the very next verse, after he talks about the spiritual gifts, verse 9, he says, love must be sincere. And the reason I emphasize that is there is a transition of thought there that is familiar. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul spends an entire chapter, chapter 12, talking about the spiritual gifts. And when he moves from chapter 12 to chapter 13, the thought transition is exactly the same. Verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1 says, If I speak of tongue in the tongues of men of, or of angels but have not love, I am only a, resound, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, after he talks about the importance of understanding spiritual gifts, he immediately pivots to a discussion about love. And in fact, all of chapter 13 is about love. And he makes the same transition here. After talking about the importance of spiritual gifts, he immediately pivots to a discussion about love. It can't just be a coincidence. Paul ties these things together in his thinking. And the thinking goes like this. If all we do is come to understand our spiritual gifts, our divine design, and therefore come to understand the role that we have in the church of Jesus Christ, if all we do is make sure we're in the right place at the right time doing the right thing the way that God has designed us, then this movement that we call the Christian church could easily devolve into a very business-like affair. Everybody doing their job, staying in their lane, accomplishing their tasks. I know my place. I know what I'm doing. Everything is going to be efficient and effective. We will have good process, good policy, and everything will go smooth. But what we won't have is we won't have gospel ministry. And we won't have the community that we're meant to be. We won't have fellowship and we won't have much fun because this is not a company. You are not part of a business here in the church. We are not a corporation. Even though there's organizational qualities to the way we accomplish the ministry, Paul wants us to remember it's really about love. Because what we are in the eyes of God is a family, not a business. A family related as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And we need to be able to put love into action if we're going to get the good done that God wants us to do. So the immediate pivot after outlining this importance of spiritual gifts and the offices that organize the church, he says, listen, but you have to have sincere love for one another. And then he goes on to show us what that good loving life will look like. In fact, from verses 9 to 21, he gives 22 commands. 22 specific commands. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to not do. And if you follow these 22 commands, the way that he's, he's outlining it, he's basically saying, then you will be a part of this movement that will overcome evil with good. 22 commands. Now, that is a thorough treatment. But if I were to sp- preach on all 22 commands, we're going to be here all day. And I'm going to miss my chili cook-off. So... We're not going to do that, but I'm going to pick and choose a few and summarize a few of them uh, so that we can understand the kind of good life that God calls us to so that we can do our job that He has assigned the church of Jesus Christ. But the basic bottom line issue is this, ministry without love is bad ministry. Service without love is bad service. Theology without love is is bad theology because we are called to be the family of God. And the first thing he says is love must be sincere. I'm going to read the first few verses after verse 9. Follow along with me. It says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. He's starting to rattle off those 22 commands that make us be love in action to good people that God wants us to be. But have sincere love is the place that it starts. That's the first command. The English Standard Version translation is this, let love be genuine. The command portion of that is the genuineness. I want you to genuinely love one another. I want you to genuinely care about one another. I don't want you to pretend. I don't want you to fake it. I want it to be absolutely real. Don't be a hypocrite in this area. Really love. A hypocrite is a person who's a pretender. As a matter of fact, the original word, we've taken that word from Greek and just brought it into English, and the original word meant a stage actor. An actor on the stage was called a hypocrite, and the reason is because they pretend for a living. A pretender. And God says, I don't want you to be pretending about your love. I want your love to be real. I want your love to be sincere. In other words, you should be open-hearted towards one another. You should be compassionate towards one another. You should want to get together with one another and, and long to have the renewal of that fellowship which feeds your love. Because you need to be a family more than an organization. You need to be brothers and sisters more than co-workers. Don't see yourselves as filling a slot but taking part in a family that loves the Lord and loves each other. That's the focus. And we have to pray about that because we're not all that great at that. Because sometimes we kind of skip over the the love 
And the reason is because oftentimes the people we're called to love are not all that lovely. You know, the church is the family of God, but the church is something else as well. The church is a hospital for sinners. Every one of you, if you know Christ as personal Savior, you know what you are? You're in recovery. You're a recovering sinner. And as a recovering sinner, you've got baggage. And every once in a while, that baggage comes up to bite us. That's why we need to pray about loving each other. It's not a natural thing. It's not an easy thing. It's a supernatural thing. But God promises us that He wants us to do that, so He will help us accomplish that. Focus on love. We all have the same Heavenly Father. We are brothers and sisters. You can grow in your affection for one another with His help. Why? Because it all goes back to what we were talking about in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It has to do with the way we think about one another. The world's way of thinking remembers offenses. The world's way of thinking remembers hurts and recalls slights, keeps tabs, you know. About how, how often this person didn't say hi to me, how often this person snubbed me when I wasn't included. And we keep tabs on these kinds of things. I saw a, a comedian was on Facebook the other day, and the comedian was giving the difference between a traditional Italian wedding and the weddings that we go to today. The weddings that we go to today, there's always presents and there's always, you know, a table with all the, all the gifts and so forth and so on. And uh, he was mentioning, and this is true, that, that the, the traditional Italian weddings that he grew up going to, there was never that. There was never a big table with presents and gifts and all that kind of stuff. There was one word that was important in terms of what you do for the newly married couple. You know what that word is? Cash. That's what I, nobody, they had a, a sack. And in that sack or in that bag, you put your envelope. And the envelope was the cash. That's what nobody really gave presents as much as they gave cash. And he said, you know what they do? Before the, before the couple was going to go on their honeymoon, what they'd do was they'd take out the envelopes and write down who gave what. So they could see how much they're supposed to give their family next time they have a wedding in their family. It's all about remembering the ratio, you know, and keeping tabs. And that's the way the world thinks. But love says, not so with you. I want you to not talk, think about slights. I want you to think about blessing. It's almost like Paul is asking us to, to, to be on the prowl. Look around for people who you know and, and, and are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Sneak up on them unaware. Catch them doing something great and bless them for it. That's great what you just did right there. Marvelous. Don't keep record of the wrongs. Keep record of the rights. And love one another. Then he goes on in verse 10, and he goes, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And here's the, the second command. Not only commanded to have sincere love, but now commanded to deeply devoted friendships. Interestingly enough, the, the word that Paul uses for love in verse 10 is different than the word he uses for love in verse 9. Verse 9, he uses the word agape. That's the normal self-giving love that we read a lot about in the Bible. In verse 10, it's a, it's a very difficult to translate combination word using the, the word that we translate brotherly love and affection. The NIV has kind of tried, got it all together by saying, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Interestingly enough, it includes feelings affectionate feelings towards one another. 
A devoted friendship develops when we share more than just an experience, more than just, you know, okay, we'll go to the movies together and then see ya. That's not a devoted friendship. A devoted friendship has something in common that we share deeply, which gives rise to feelings, a feeling of connection, a feeling of devotion, a feeling of I'm willing to hang in with you, I will help you, I will do things with and for you, feelings. But it starts with that connection on a deep level. C.S. Lewis uh, once said, the opening line of a true friendship starts like this, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. All of a sudden, there's something that we share in common that connects us. And on a spiritual level, we share the Holy Spirit. There's a deep connection between believers that causes a bond, that bond is meant to grow, and and it grows into feelings, and the feeling shows itself by the end of verse 10. This, honor one another above yourselves. That's the rest of it. That's where the feeling of love brings us to. Living in humility with one another. Out of my devoted friendship with you, actually, I I esteem you more than myself. I put you up on a pedestal more than myself. I honor you as better than myself. Notice how shocking this is. He says, not equal to, not the same as, better. And lest you think that Paul is just kind of going off the rails here, he doesn't really mean it. Philippians chapter 2 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And this is what made the Christian message so revolutionary in the way that it affected the relationships of the world. Because the world says, what do you mean better? What about my rights? What about my ideas? What about my self-esteem? What about my worth? I'm not going to get my way. I'm not going to be lift, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be taken advantage of if I see other people as better than me. And Paul says, no, listen, in, in the church, if everybody's doing that, none of you will be left behind. You will all be lifted up by esteeming others better. Now, this ethic of honoring the other changed the world. Let me tell you how. I wonder if you've ever noticed that there is no explicit teaching against slavery in the Bible. It's mentioned, first century was filled with slavery, it's there, and we we see various times where it's spoken of as less than, you know, Philemon and Onesimus and so forth in the book of Philemon, But, but there's no explicit teaching. But yet, as the influence of Christianity grew over the centuries, legal slavery was eradicated. How is that? How did that come to be? It comes back to this very ethic. Picture this scene, this scene that comes from from the, uh, the first century. A rich man and his household are converted. Very often we see that language in the Bible, and what we mean by that is not only the man's children, but also the servants in that household, the bond slaves. That's the household. And a rich man and his household comes to Christ, are converted to faith in Christ. And what happens in that, in that town? Well, a small church begins to form. And that rich man and his family are a part of that church. Maybe it's a church in a home. 
And they come together and they do exactly what we're doing here. They pray together, they sing, they, they, they read scripture. Maybe they read a letter from the Apostle Paul and they try to think, well, what does he mean by that for us? And that's what they do week after week. Eventually that rich man shows up in the meeting. He's a believer. And he's invited to come and sit down with the rest of the believers. And he sees, hold on, that means I'm going to have to sit next to my slave. In this culture, that wouldn't be done. I can't sit next to my slave on the same level of my slave. But over time, he begins to continually hear the message that everyone is worthy in the eyes of God equally. We're all created in the image of God. That you are to esteem others. That there is value and worth in every human life. And it begins to seep into him. Not only am I called to sit next to my slave in worship, I am called to see him as equal. And I am called to understand that there is no right for a human being to possess another human being. And little by little, this ethic chipped away at legal slavery. Tragically, to our shame in this nation, it took centuries for slavery to be eradicated. But I want to show you that unless this ethic existed in our world, today slavery would still be legal. Because this is the value that says, I see you as worthy, worthy more than myself, and I will esteem you. It changed the world. Number one, make your love sincere. Number two, value one another. Be devoted in friendship. Number three, command is empathize with one another. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Why should we do that? Because that's what Jesus did. And if we're followers of Jesus, Part of being like Christ is entering into the emotions of the people around us. Jesus was ready to rejoice and be glad at the wedding of Cana. And he was ready to weep and feel the sadness at the grave of Lazarus. Jesus joined into the emotions of the people. And as such, he authenticated their proper emotions. That's what empathy does. It authenticates the, the feelings of others. It says, you know, this is sad. You're right to be sad. It's not, buck up, get over it, move on. And it's also, you are right to rejoice. I'm happy for you in the happy times. This is empathy, and we see it in Jesus. I'm not envious of your success. I'm not afraid of your grief. You can trust me. I will feel along with you in the journey of life. And everybody needs that. Paul knew that through the inspiration of the Spirit. Sincere love, devoted friendships, and empathy make for the kind of love relationship and force for good that we're called to be. But he also understood that not everybody is going to go with the program. Not everybody in your life is going to be in this category, and sometimes it doesn't quite work. So how, what do we do when these kinds of things are not received? I'll call this section, How to Handle the Haters. And it's in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. How to handle the haters? Number one, return good for bad. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Lord that you follow died for his enemies. I didn't say he died because of his enemies, even though that is true. What I mean is he, did, he died on behalf of his enemies. He knew that his death was the best thing he could do for his enemies. And who were his enemies? 
us. Colossians 1.21, once you were alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are to emulate and be like the one that we are the disciples of. Look back at verse 14. This is what it means. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not return evil for evil, but rather good. If you repay evil with evil, it makes you a participant in evil, and that evil escalates. If you return violence for violence, it makes you a participant in violence, and that violence escalates. Rather, return good for evil. It's a very common sense kind of approach. Very down to earth. The rubber will meet the road. Not everybody's going to respond great to your, your efforts to do good, but still you return good. And then, in so doing, you build a bridge rather than a wall. Verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul's realistic. It's not going to be possible with everyone. But on your side of the coin, on your side, make sure you're doing the peaceful thing, the good that God wants you to do. And what will happen because of that? Down to verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Once again, it's the example of Jesus that we're shown. Because even though the greatest evil was happening when he was nailed to the cross, his Ministry was overcoming that evil with good. That's why we refer to that day as Good Friday. Paul is saying, let grace and goodness have the last word in your life. One man has written this, to return evil for good is devil-like. To return evil for evil is beast-like. To return good for good is human-like. But to return good for evil is God-like. And when that's the way we live, what will be demonstrated is that we have been changed by Jesus Christ. We have been the ones transformed by the renewing of our mind. We no longer fit into the pattern of this world. You're called to imitate imitate Christ. But there's another aspect to this call. Not only are you called to imitate Christ, you're called to trust Christ. That at the end, good will overcome evil. Because really there's only Two possibilities. Either, number one, your goodness will bring about the repentance of your enemy and the enemy of God, and your enemy will become your sister, your brother, your friend, and good will overcome. Or, two, your enemy and the enemy of the Lord will harden his heart and reject your goodness, but ultimately be judged for their evil by the one who judges justly. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You do not need to inflict punishment. Yours is not to take revenge. You do not need to win every argument, persuade every mind, or get into a tussle with everyone who comes against you. Truth and righteousness will win out one way or the other, because God will always have the last word. But our job is to follow the pathway of goodness and peace that Christ has outlined. And in so doing, we demonstrate we don't conform to the world. We have been transformed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call you have on our life. We know the job is difficult for all around us. The enemy is active. But Lord, we have your power on our side and we want to serve you well. 
So help us be, be the kind of individuals that overcome the evil of the world with your goodness. Lord, challenge us to think different, to act different, to talk different, to be different than the world around us, all because we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together as we sing. All right. We're leaving today with um, this song on your mind. I just want you to be reminded that no matter what you face this week, you can thank Jesus and you can come to him no matter what happens because he is who he is. Please, um, we just want you to leave with this song on your mind. moment we're going to leave this place to our fellowship time but if you're here and there's a concern for prayer in your life I invite you to slip forward and meet by the prayer counselors they're waiting for you and next to the table by the organ there and they will pray for your need but first let's all pray together thank you Lord that we walk in the light of your love help us do that we pray an onlooking world which lacks that light Dismiss us now with your blessing. Lord, bless our fellowship and the food that we'll share in just a moment. We ask that you are glorified as we come together. And Lord, we seek to just bless one another. In the week ahead, help us to represent you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.
we seek to demonstrate your love for us in the way that we live. We rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The team is back for a closing song. We're gonna, are we going to sit and listen to this song? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll sit and listen. We'll t- sit and listen, okay? <laughs> Those of you who are walking out, you should be sitting and listening. Okay. <laughs> We've done this song before. Feel free to, to, to join in, but it's uh, what, what mercy did for me. You've, uh, we've all experienced, I'm hoping, we've all experienced the mercy of God, and it's, it's never, uh, never ending. Um, and it's, this is just a song that is uh, just in response to how grateful we are what what God did because of his mercy. So.
just a moment we're going to leave this room maybe you're here and there's an issue for prayer in your life I invite you to come forward to be with the prayer team by the organ and the prayer table they will wait for you to pray for you don't carry your burden out you can lay it down but first let's all pray together thank you Lord that you are merciful to us we rejoice in the amount of grace and mercy we have experienced in our relationship with you we want to spread that word so in the week ahead Lord help us to represent you well May the actions that we take and the words that we say demonstrate that we have been filled with the love of Jesus. Help us in that way, we pray, and help us to give you glory. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.